everyone. I'm Deborah McKenna, and welcome to our show, Grafted Branches. Thank you for joining our podcast as we keep exploring Jesus in His world of first century Israel. I know you can't see Him because this is an audio-only podcast, but with me is my husband, Drew, my dear, handsome, charming, strong, fearless, dashing, and did I say handsome already? <coughs> okay, okay, enough already. Although I do like it. And a hearty welcome to all who are listening to us. We thought we'd start the show a bit different because it occurred to me this is purely an audio or sound-based format. It's probably safe to say outside of our voices, we are invisible. Of course, just think how boring it would be to have a soundless podcast. And why would anyone download or listen to a podcast with no sound? Of course, who knows? People do some strange things. So why are you bringing up this whole idea of invisibility? What does this have to do with our discussion about Jesus' teaching in his first century context? I believe that the subject of invisibility will become quite clear as we discuss today's topic. Uh, In Luke, the last recorded healing that Jesus did on the Sabbath was the man suffering from dropsy. However, before we dive into today's discussion, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you were invisible to others? What? Invisible? Hmm, well, oh, I can think of a story that left quite an impression on me. Let me tell you about it. I have a good friend who had been a talented chef and caterer. She was catering a wedding of a mutual friend's daughter from church. So I asked her if I could help prepare and serve. I teasingly told her that I wanted to experience the hell's kitchen of catering. (laughs) All kidding aside, I wanted to get a look at the -the behind-the-scenes action of the food service world. I was amazed at the stressful, fast-paced, headlong rush to get all the food prepared precisely as the family requested and then served at the exact time. When the time came, I stood behind the long table of food in my server's clothing and black apron, waiting to serve guests their desired food choices. I soon noticed the guests didn't even give me eye contact or even acknowledge my presence. Even acquaintances that I'd known for years were indifferent and looked at me blankly when I said hello. It was an odd experience. When I asked my caterer friend about this later, she said, Oh yes, that's normal. People don't even notice you're there except to serve them. I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to your experience, and it probably won't take much of an effort to picture all those invisible people around us. The young person behind the fast food counter, the guy who repairs your furnace, and even the homeless person sleeping on the street corner. Yes, we are surrounded by invisible people. But maybe being invisible or not seeing others really is some sort of self-defense mechanism we have as humans. If we aren't seen or don't see others, it protects our feelings and conscience somehow. But there's the other end of the spectrum. It seems these days there's this obsession with taking selfies and ignoring the people and places we're at. We are the center, and everything else and everyone else are just props and background visuals. All of this talk about invisibility and self-absorption is interesting, but what does it have to do with Jesus' teaching and its first century context? 
Well, I'm glad you asked that. The most important thing to remember is this. People are still people regardless of time, technology, and culture. And that brings us to today's topic. And I'll try to say this as best I can. Or better known as the welcoming of guests. Let me explain. It's a, the literal translation from the Hebrew is gathering of travelers. And while officially codified much later than the first century, it was an important tradition and rule in Jesus' day. Basically, it's this way. One would invite people, especially travelers, to their meals and homes, providing them rest and food on their journey. It sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah and something we talked about in our last podcast and how they did not just feed the three men who were passing by their tent. They provided them rest and a feast of food. All and all of this happened while Abraham and the men of his household were recovering from being circumcised. Yes, Abraham and Sarah's example is the heart of Achanasat Orchim, the gathering or inviting of guests to one's home. It just so happens this healing performed by Jesus on the Sabbath is just such an occasion. It begins in Luke 14 1. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. Deborah, what do you normally hear about Jesus healing on the Sabbath? What we all too often hear from the podium is how Jesus openly defied the Pharisees by healing on the Sabbath. There's just one problem. The narrative doesn't say that, nor is it the focus of Jesus' teaching. Absolutely. So let's get started by breaking the story down into easy-to-hear-and-understand parts. The first thing I want for all of our listeners to remember is the setting. Jesus is an invited guest to a Sabbath day meal given by a prominent Pharisee. So what do you see? Well, the most obvious part of the story is Jesus is with a group of Pharisees at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. But there is this man who doesn't fit into this group. He has a debilitating illness known as dropsy. I agree. Here's a man who just doesn't seem to fit into the kind of man invited to this meal. He doesn't have a name or a title. He is identified by his disability. And that is why I called this podcast The Invisible Man. While we can only speculate who this man is and why he was at the home of the Pharisee, I believe the text has a couple of clues. The first clue is this. When Jesus went into the house and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. The first man he met when he entered the house wasn't the owner of the home, the Pharisee, but rather this man with dropsy. Why is this detail important to catch? Well, when, in, when fulfilling the 
tradition, the owner of the home or his representative would greet the invited guests. There's one more clue to who the man is. After Jesus healed him of his illness, Jesus does this. He took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. The key phrase is, sent him away. A more literal translation of this is to dismiss or end one's encounter with. Jesus didn't admonish him in any way. He didn't instruct him. He was dismissed. Encounter over and sent him on his way. This does seem a bit strange when compared to others who were healed by Jesus. In just our last podcast, we discussed the healing of a woman bent over for 18 years and the resistance Jesus met with the leader of the synagogue regarding healing on the Sabbath. We shared with our listeners Jesus' brilliant use of the Hebrew concept, Sa'ar Ba'alei Hayim, the preventing of suffering of living things, when he reminded them that they were permitted to untie their livestock and lead them to water on the Sabbath. How much more should a daughter of Abraham be unbound on the Sabbath? But there seems to be something different at play here in this story. So let's slow down and take a look at how the story begins again. First of all, Jesus is a guest at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. We find there are no, excuse me, we find there are other Pharisees and experts in the Mosaic law present. But there before him is a man with dropsy. And then Jesus asks a question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The Pharisees are silent. He then says to the group, which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And the Pharisees could make no reply to this. Jesus again uses the concept of Sa'ar Ba'alei, Hayim, but notice that none of the Pharisees object. This is another place where putting the synoptic Gospels back into their first century context helps us to understand what is happening. Uh, Brad Young, who is a professor at ORU and teaches advanced language and translation courses, as well as Jewish foundations of early Christianity, says this, When the Pharisees became quiet and did not respond, this means... They came into agreement. They listened to Jesus' teachings, and they saw what happened. And in this cultural context, they would have uh, voiced an argument if they disagreed. But the phrase, they agreed, is often also translated, they could not reply to this. The original audience understood that when the questions have been discussed and answered convincingly, the consensus is agreement. The audience understood that agreement had been reached. They accepted the argument and the authority of the one who expressed it. Wow. Putting the story back into its original cultural context really helps us see what is happening. But there is more to the story that is often separated from the healing of the man with dropsy. Are you hinting at the possibility the man wasn't an invited guest at all? Could it have been that he was a servant in the house of the Pharisee? I think he probably was a servant in the house of the Pharisee. Uh, And like many servants around us today, he would go unnoticed to those whom he served. However, we need to continue with the text to get more of the context of this Sabbath meal. 
Ah, you're telling us Jesus' teaching isn't just about the legality of healing on the Sabbath. No, uh, no, he's not. And like all of the best teachers, Jesus takes things from a rule into a practical way to live it out. Let's see what happens next as we, excuse me, let's see what happens next as the invited guests begin to sit down for their Sabbath meal. From Luke 14, verses 7 to 11, Jesus begins by addressing his fellow invitees. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had begun picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I hadn't noticed this before, because traditionally the church separates the healing of the man from Jesus' teaching that follows the healing. We put all the emphasis on condemning Pharisees, and in doing so, we fail to put ourselves in Jesus' illustration and ask the important question, do I ever do that? The guests in this story didn't seem too concerned about this healing on the Sabbath, and they seemed indifferent about the man who was healed. Jesus saw that while a man was being healed of a very serious and debilitating illness, they seemed more concerned with picking out the best places to sit, the one which would give them the most honor. I wonder how many of us do the same thing at church gatherings and functions, looking for our friends and the right people we want to associate and be seen with, ignoring those we have little regard for. So Jesus addresses those who paid very little attention to the man who was healed and gives them an illustration of taking the seats of honor at a wedding. And the kicker comes at the end when Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what is he teaching? The key words here are exalt and humble. Let's start with the Hebrew understanding of what it means to be humble or humbled. The first use in the Bible of a man being described as humble is Moses, who was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And that's from Numbers 12.3. Moses was raised, though, in the most privileged life possible. From his youth to the day he died, Moses was always at the top of the proverbial human heap, and yet he was humble. How can that be? The answer is in the Hebrew roots of humble, anah. And this literally means to be afflicted. Simply put, a humble person sees and recognizes with those who are afflicted. They don't run to the front of the line. They make sure people's needs are met. And in the end, they don't expect to be paid back for their efforts. I agree and would like to emphasize your last point. A humble person doesn't expect payment for their efforts. And that is probably the hardest thing to do. 
because we all, deep down, want recognition and meaning for our lives. Now, exalt is a little bit harder to get a clear understanding of. Why? Because there are multiple root words translated into the single English word. One can exalt something or someone through praise. Another is when a person lifts uh, his or her hand while saying an oath. It can be also referred to taking or carrying a burden or load for someone else. So what is common, though, is this. To exalt is the act of lifting or rising up to a higher position or location. It's amazing how Jesus is able, on the spur of the moment, to brilliantly use an incident as a teaching moment that is as applicable today as it was then. The contrast between a humble person and those seeking recognition. I think we have to remember this healing was done in a very common setting of the day, a Sabbath day meal. So why is that important? Because Jesus saw that guests didn't seem to even notice the man with dropsy, nor the miracle which had just happened. It appeared they were more concerned about where or who they sat next to and how it would benefit them rather than a man healed from a serious illness. I hadn't noticed that before. Jesus saw people seeking a higher position at the table, one closer to a respected leader. They were more consumed with exalting or elevating themselves in this simple meal setting that they failed to see or were disinterested in the afflicted and seriously ill man. How we treat, care, and see others around us is a testimony of who we are. It's not what we say we believe, but the living out of what we believe that causes others to want to know our God and who Jesus is. Even when no one is seemingly watching us, as followers of Jesus, the way we live out our lives counts. Jesus goes from addressing the invited guests to the host. Here's what Jesus told him. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. And that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Isn't it great? Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He goes right to the heart of what's going on. Yes, the leader had invited people who are essentially in his circle, people who reciprocate and benefit him. But did you catch how cleverly Jesus worded his teaching? I noticed Jesus made a contrast I think most of us miss. First, he says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, and then he follows it up with something much bigger, when you give a reception. He's making a comparison between the normal daily routines and the occasional big event. Yes, he goes right to the heart. Don't do what you are doing today, seeking people for their influence. Instead, make it a habit to pay attention to the invisible people in the routine things, and it will become the norm for the really big events of life. This problem goes all the way back to our school playground days, where we desired to be in the in-group and disregarded or even made fun of others. Sadly, too many of us have taken the same behavior into adulthood, making others invisible. 
It would appear the Pharisee hosting the meal was trying to fulfill the tradition of Achanasat Orchim, the welcoming of guests to his home. Somehow he and those invited to the meal had perhaps lost sight of the meaning and the root of the tradition. What are the roots of this tradition? Well, in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, the hospitality of two men are contrasted, Abraham and Lot. To be like Abraham is to run and greet the travelers, providing rest and nourishment regardless of who they are, while Lot, sitting in the gate, a place of influence, was seemingly more interested in how being a host to these same travelers would boost his reputation and influence in the community. People sure haven't changed much over the millennia. True, I'm concerned about today's church trends. Our church services have become entertainment and our leaders celebrity. Our fellowship groups are no longer places to learn and study our Bibles, but instead they're based around fun activities. It has become all about me and my enjoyment and not really about caring or even noticing those around me. We say we're followers of Jesus, but do we even know what that means or what he taught? Well, we're running out of time for this podcast, but I can't help but feel a bit frustrated because there's so much more in this encounter than a healing. The Pharisees here had no objection to this man being healed on the Sabbath. They heard Jesus' argument and concurred with him. It appears what was more important to them was where they were seated and who they sat next to. And so much so, the man who had been healed was invisible to them. Unless we forget, Jesus makes it quite clear they are doing this as part of their normal weekly Sabbath routine. Are our weekly routines similar? Do we miss seeing the potential for caring about others? Because it's all about us and who we sit next to. Oh, ouch. But unfortunately, I would have to agree. I think it's time we start asking ourselves the big question. When we attend a church function, who gets the most attention from us? Our friends, people we enjoy being around, who make us laugh, people who are of the same age, the same educational background or economic status, people who make us look and feel good. How about the checker at the grocery store or the waiter at the restaurant, the surface person who does repairs on your home, or the family who arrives at church driving an old beat-up car? Are they invisible to us? Could it be that we are actually worse than the very Pharisees that many call hypocrites? So, what can we do to be humble and recognize the afflicted around us? Well, Paul put it bluntly when he told the believers in Philippi, quote, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with all humility, regard one another more important than yourselves. I think this is something we all need to continually remind ourselves of. It's all too easy to slip back into our old behaviors. So let's make it our normal routine to make the invisible man visible. And with that, I see the clock on the wall. It's telling us it's time to say thank you and goodbye to our listeners. I also want to remind all of you to drop in and check out the resources on our website, graftedbranches.org, where you'll find resources and links to help you understand Jesus in the first century context he lived in and taught in.
So, thank you for being with us, and as always, remember... Get to know him, what he taught, and then go live it. See you next time.